Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, please visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Steve Fowler. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 11. Uh, we're continuing our series called Reconciled. And we are talking about relationships. Uh, first week, we talked about the, just the necessity. Yes, we want to be in right relationship with God, but you can't be right with God and not be right with one another. Um, and so we're, we're just talking about how, what, what's it take to be right with one another uh, in that first week. And then last week, we talked about a seat that only belongs to God. It's a seat of judgment. It's, uh, we talked about the story of Joseph and how he refused to hold a grudge. He just said, no, am I God? Um, and just really trusting God that he will make every, uh, every, every wrong right. And then this week, uh, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 11, specifically the story that is captured by a church in Antioch of Syria. So I'm going to read uh, Acts chapter 11. You can follow along on a tablet, a phone, or if you've got a good old-fashioned Bible, you turn pages. Uh, that's great, too. Uh, reading in, uh, beginning in verse 19. Uh, Luke writes, Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene and began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. This is God's holy word. When Trina and I were first married, we were living in Northern California. We lived in Oakland for a little bit, and one of the things that we loved to do on a Friday night or Saturday night was not unusual. We loved to go see movies. And uh, we went to, uh, went to a specific theater where we wanted to watch a movie. It was the Grand Theater in Oakland, California. It, it, we went to that theater specifically, not because it had the best and most comfy seats. It, it didn't. We went to that theater not, not because it had the best popcorn. I, I don't think it did. It, it didn't stick out as bad. Uh, we went to that theater because going to that theater was a cultural experience. Let me explain. When you sat in the Grand Theater and you were waiting to see your movie, of course, like any theater, there's previews. And when the previews would show, at the end of the previews, you'll learn this really, really quickly on, when the preview ended, in the first preview, as, if, if I'm remembering correctly, the first preview, preview the crowd liked. And, and because they liked it, they exploded in applause. I mean, there was whistling and there was cheering and there was, it wasn't golf clap kind of applause. Like, oh, that's, that's nice. No, it was like full-blown applause, the kind of applause where you're trying to bring an artist back out onto the stage to get them to do an encore. I mean, these folks were engaged. And I remember looking at Trina and going, oh, my goodness, these people are like, they, they really, they really like that movie that's coming up. And then there was a second preview. The second preview played and, and we were watching the preview and it was like, oh, this movie really, this 
This sounds, this looks like it's going to be pretty dumb. This is not going to be some, a movie we're going to want to go to. Preview ends, and the crowd breaks out in hissing. They look like, and Trina looks at each other like, this is awesome. It's like this interactive experience in which people are, are they're just sort of declaring whether they're going like, to like this movie or whether they despise this movie, and they're not holding their emotions back. In fact, I think this is something we should do. I think that you know, if you hear a bad sermon, you should hiss, and, or you should apply. I, I don't know. Maybe try it out sometime when Rob Bash is preaching. Uh, try to see, see what he does. But it gives birth to this idea in my mind because, you know, there are a lot of different metaphors for the church. If you've read your Bible, you know that the church is called the body of Christ. It's called the bride of Christ. We're the family of God. You are living stones. And when you put all the living stones together, we are the temple of God. God is giving us all kinds of metaphors to help us understand who we are to be. And I want to add one more to that. You're not going to find it in the scriptures, but I think it runs pretty consistent with what Jesus teaches. Here's the metaphor. The church is a movie trailer. We are a preview of the coming kingdom of God. That actually, the church, if someone were wondering, what is the fully realized kingdom of God going to look like? When Jesus comes, the trumpet blows, and Jesus sets up his kingdom, and the fullness of his kingdom is being expressed. If people want to know what that's going to look like, I think that they should be able, they could look at the church, and they could see us, and they could say, okay, that's a preview. See, if... If they want a preview on what sexual wholeness looks like in the church or looks like in the world, what it should look like, they should be able to look at us, look at the church. If they want a, a picture, what does generosity look like, they should be able to look at, like, look at us. If they want a picture, what's it look like to care for the poor, I believe the church can be a preview of the coming kingdom of God and its heart for the poor. And I also believe, as I want to talk to you today, I want to talk to you about the, the, the topic of, of diversity. I think, especially in light of the racial reckoning that we have been through here in our country in the last 16 months, I think when the world is wondering, hey, how in the world do we move forward in such a way where people of different ethnicities actually enjoy and love being around each other, and they're scratching their heads trying to figure this out, how do we do this? I think that they should actually be able to look at us and say, you know, I don't believe half the stuff those guys believe, but on this topic, they figured something out. We should check it out. Because the, but because the church is a movie trailer, it's a preview of the coming kingdom of God. I want to talk to you about God's heart, his burden for people from different ethnicities, from people from different generations, for people from different socioeconomic statuses to actually be together in such a way where we're enriched by one another and we love one another in such a way that it leaves the world scratching because it ends up being a movie trailer of a coming reality that we fully realized. And this is on the heart of God, friends. You'll see this in the scriptures. Isaiah 56, verse 7, Isaiah says these words that Jesus quotes one day he's in the temple. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. It's a house of prayer for all nations, for all people groups. You get to Romans chapter 1. Paul is trying to root his, his role in what, in what Jesus has called him to. And Paul says, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. 
It isn't just one people group. It isn't just one type of person. It's for everyone, for the nations. Oh, and of course, you know from our study, the book of Revelations, uh, Revelation, that, that Jesus touches on this, chapter 5, verse 9. Then they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And just in case you didn't get it from the book of Revelation, let's go to chapter 7 because it's even a broader picture of this. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. See, friends, I think we read passages like that, we hear passages like that, and we think, oh, someday that will be a reality. And we miss out on the fact that actually Jesus is calling the church to be a movie trailer and to provide a preview of a coming reality of the kingdom of God right here and now, which is why we pray the Lord's Prayer. Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're actually praying, Lord, would you empower us? Would you allow the kingdom realities that will be fully realized one day, may they be in our lives today. And when the kingdom of God does break in, we get to declare this. Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out his disciples, and he says, I want you to go preach the good news of the kingdom of heaven. I want you to pray for the sick. And, by the way, when the sick are healed, I want you to say something. Here's what I want you to say. I want you to say, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, why is Jesus telling his disciples to declare this? Because he doesn't want the world to miss it. That when physical healing takes place, it's simply a mirror of an eternal reality that will one day fully be realized where there will be no sickness, no death, no tears. And so he's saying... If I could put words in Jesus' mouth, which that sounds weird, doesn't it? The church is a movie trailer. It's a preview of the coming kingdom of God. And so I want to talk to us about this topic of diversity. I'm not talking about racial injustice. I'm not talking about racism. Because I don't even think we can get there until we see God's heart for the nations. And what I want to do is lay a bit of a map uh, ahead of us of some questions I'm going to be answering. I'll put them up on the screen for you so you can see where we're going. Why is the diversity of the church important? Why is cultural integration so hard? And how can we pursue cultural and racial diversity as a church? How do we do this? So let's just dive in. Let's go after the first one. Why is the diversity of the church so important? I've read to you from Acts chapter 11, but let me just set a little bit of context for us so we understand why Acts chapter 11 is so significant. You know that the Spirit of God was poured out in Jerusalem on Pentecost. And Jews came to put their faith in Jesus Christ. The church was born. And the first seven and a half chapters of the book of Acts are all about the church in Jerusalem and the gospel taking root in the Jewish church. But when you get to chapter 8, what you see is the dream of God for the nations to be in that throne room starting to be realized. You have Samaritans in Samaria that, that despise Samaritans, the ones who, are look, at, who look like the second-class citizens of their cities. They start to turn to Jesus. Oh, you get Philip on the road to Gaza. He meets an Ethiopian government leader, and he begins to explain Isaiah 53 to this man to help him understand. And that man is so excited about Jesus, he wants to be baptized like in that moment. 
And the North African church will point to that passage and say, that's the seed of the gospel in our land. And then you get to Acts Chapter 9, you get Paul on the road to Damascus. The gospel will be taken to Syria. You get to Acts chapter 7, and you're introduced to a Roman centurion. His name is Cornelius in a very militarized Roman city in Caesarea. You get to Acts chapter 11. You get to Antioch. I could keep going through the book of Acts, but let me just stop in Acts chapter 16 for a moment because this, is, this would have blown people's, it would have blown the Jewish mind of the day. See, each male, and in, in each Jewish male would pray this prayer in the morning. God, thank you that I'm not a woman. Thank, no hissing? Really? I'm surprised. Thank you that I'm not a woman. Thank you that I'm not a slave. And thank you that I'm not a Gentile. Amen. What an incredible prayer to pray. Oh, but then you get to Acts chapter 16. Paul goes into Philippi, and he meets a woman named Lydia. And God opens her heart to the gospel, and Lydia becomes a follower of Jesus. Oh, what happens next in Philippi? There's a slave girl who's, slave girl who's demonized, and Paul casts this demon out, and she is saved, and she's delivered. Oh, then Paul is put into prison, and there's an earthquake, and then uh, the, the jailer is introduced to a Gentile jailer, or probably a Roman centurion, who his, he and his whole household are led to Jesus Christ. And you, if you are a Jewish follower in that day, your mind had to be blowing fuses because a woman, a slave, and a Gentile are all now followers of Jesus. This is only something God could do. This, I mean, isn't this the work of God? That he would, he would shift, it was a seismic shift of spirituality in the day. And it's on his heart, and he cares deeply about it. So much so that he would paint pictures for us of a throne room, of one day when this will be fully realized. And friends, I believe the church is to be a movie trailer, and we are to be a preview of the coming kingdom of God. And whatever the topic is, and especially this one, this is one, and actually we could, we could give a preview to our world who's longing to seek ways to build bridges, to love, and to see people from different ethnicities different socioeconomic sets, different generations actually be together and enjoy one another. So I read to you from the church of Antioch. Let's just talk about Antioch here for a moment, and let me help you see the beauty of what God is doing here. Um, let, me, let me nerd out a little bit on Antioch, okay? If you stick with me on this. Antioch was built in 300 B.C. Alexander the Great, his, one of his generals named Seleucus, actually built the city. He named it after his father, Antiochus. That's the beginnings of Antioch. Antioch was the third largest nation, third largest city in the, in the empire of Rome. It's like, it's the Chicago of the U.S. Chicago is the third largest city. It would have been the third largest city of the Roman Empire, which means it was a city that had cultural influence. It was a city that, that had economic influence in the entire Roman Empire. I'll put a picture on the screen of a computer-generated picture of what Antioch would have looked like in the day. This is a city that still exists today. It's up northern Syria, right on the border of Turkey. You see a walled city. You see a river running through that city. It's, it's, it's the River Orontes. And you see um, on, the, on the one side, on the right-hand side, if you're, if you're in the room, it, it, it's, there's a mountain up there. And then you've got this... this beautiful boulevard that's running through the middle of the city. You see all the columns there. And this was a thriving cosmopolitan city. 
Um, and uh, there were walls around it, but uh, it, it, this is a city that's actually, it has significant economic influence because it's on the Silk Road. Now, if, here's a map of the Silk Road, and it, it may be a little bit hard to see, but if you look at that map, if you, if you, if you look at the far right-hand side, you're in China. You see Lanzhou, Xi'an. If you keep going across, you got India down below. You keep trucking across here. You get all the way across to Damascus, hang a right at Damascus, and push up to Antakya. Antakya is Antioch. That, you can see the, the, the name Antioch. In fact, there is an Antakya, Syria today. Here's a picture of Antakya today. It's a very, very heavily populated uh, city, uh, exists today. The ruins of the original Antioch are there in that city. I'm giving you all that information because, because Antioch was on the Silk Road. It was a trade center, and you had people coming from China, from, from India, from Mongolia, parts of modern-day Russia. You had Persians, modern-day Iraq and Iran. You were coming. You had North Africans coming. You had Turks coming down. You had Middle Easterners all in this city. And while there were walls around the city, there was actually significant racial strife in the city because it was made up of all these different ethnicities. Historians tell us that there were actually 18 different ethnic neighborhoods in in Antioch. One historian, Douglas Rutt, comments on the, the, the significance of this. He says, for the sake of keeping peace and order in a city with such diversity of ethnicity, cultures, and religions, somewhere along the line in Antioch's history, Walls were built to fence off the various groups from one another. These walls were symbolic of the great divides between the worldviews of the co-inhabitants of Antioch. You got to get this. Cosmopolitan city, third largest city in the entire Roman Empire. You've got, it's on the Silk Road. It's full of people from different ethnicities, And not only do they have a wall around the city, there are walls built in the city because of the racial strife and the rioting that's taking place. And then the gospel leaves Jerusalem because of persecution, and people are going to Cyprus, they're going to Cyrene, which is modern-day Libya, and they're going to Antioch of Syria, and they're talking about Jesus, and something phenomenal takes place. Something so head-scratching, so eye-popping, so surprising that the church in Jerusalem will send Barnabas up to this city to figure out what is going on here because we have never seen this before. And what they're going to do is to watch a movie trailer. They're going to watch a movie trailer because what's happening in Antioch is actually a preview of a coming reality that will be fully realized by Jesus one day. When the throne room of heaven will be populated from people with people from every tongue, tribe, language, and nation. And it's happening in Antioch. In fact, the, the multi-ethnic expression, you'll see it in Acts chapter 13 as Luke tries to describe the, 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 the leadership structure there, the leaders there. Uh, he writes, among the prophets and teachers of the church of Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man of Niger, Lucius from Cyrene, Manaean, the childhood uh, companion of King Herod, Antipas, and Saul. Now, why is Luke telling us this? We're not going to hear anything else about most of these names. I think Luke is trying to let the movie trailer be played for us because something so unusual was taking place in Antioch. He's saying, you got to check this out. 
There's a guy named Saul from Tarsus from southeast Turkey who's a leader in this church. Oh, and that, there's a guy named Manan. Manan, he's actually part of the cultural elite. He was a childhood companion of Herod. Oh, there's Barnabas. He, he's from Cyprus. Oh, there's Simeon. He, 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 he's, from, uh, he, he's, he's from Niger. He's North African. Oh, there, there's, there's this other guy, Lucius. He's from Libya. And they're the leaders in this church. And you're getting a picture. You're seeing a movie trailer of the coming reality, a preview of the coming kingdom of God right there in Antioch. And Luke doesn't want us to miss it. In fact, the dream is coming into such full focus that in Acts chapter 11, as, as I read the text, you get down to the end and people are going, what do we call these people? Because, you know, we... we we normally call people by where they're from. It's their geography. Oh, they're from Kaiser. Oh, they're from New York. Oh, they're from the South. You can tell by their accent. Oh, that person's French. We, we often do this, and that was the custom in the day. But then you've got people literally climbing walls who are very different from one another, longing to be together. And they're saying, what do we call these people? And they decided that they would call them little Christs. Because that's what the word Christian means. Because a movie trailer is being played. A preview of the coming kingdom of God. When people from all different backgrounds, people from, from all different strata of society and the nations were together and they loved one another and it just confused people. Yet, it is on the heart of God. It's God's heart. It's God's dream. So if it's God's dream and we're the church, why is this so hard? Why is cultural integration so hard? Why is this so difficult? Well, let me just uh, explain a couple ways why it's so hard. One is because we all have preferences. If you didn't know that or not. I mean, we all, we all have our cultural preferences. We, we, some of us prefer a more pensive, reflective experience when we come together to worship. And, and we like quiet and stillness. Other of us, we like loud, and we were shouting and dancing, and we, we just like activity. And, and, and when you pull people from different societies and, and you know, ethnicities and uh, different backgrounds together, we, we, we love it. We, we love being together. We love seeing different ethnicities in the room. Uh, that, that's great. Um, and for some of us, we, we like a multicolored church. We just don't like a, a you know, multi-diverse church because we want to worship our way because our way is the right way, Right? That's, we may not say that out loud, but oftentimes that's what happens. My parents were missionaries in China. When I was a little kid, I was 11 years old. We were in Malaysia, and my parents decided for the summer that they were going to take us to different churches, that they wanted to see, they wanted us to see different expressions of worship. So we went to a mainline denomination church one week, and we were there. it was very, like, you didn't make a noise. It was very reflective. Uh, it was calm. It was still. It was, uh, it was you just you kind of sensed being in God's presence. And, um, and in that church, they served communion every week. So when communion was being served, um, the, the trays were coming down the aisle. And the tray came as it was coming closer. I saw dad lean over to my brother. I saw mom lean over to my sister. 
and whisper something. And dad then leaned over to me and said, just a heads up, that's bug juice. I was like, bug juice? I'm 11, so I'm taking pretty much everything literally. Bug, bug juice. And I get this little cup, and it's got clear liquid, kind of yellowish. And, you know, we're, we're going to drink together, so I throw it back, and my mouth is on fire. It's, it's bug juice. It's wine. It's wine. But this is the weirdest thing ever. We always had Welch's. Everyone knows you do Welch's for communion, right? It's just... It's, it's got to be in the Bible somewhere. Yet the whole experience was, it was pretty phenomenal. Nothing like I had ever, ever experienced before. Next weekend, mom and dad took us to a charismatic church. Oh, man, from the moment you walked in that door, it was activity. People, people were so friendly, and, man, people were so excited, and then people were talking. I mean, during worship, people were talking to each other, and they were shouting, and there was dancing, and there was hooting and hollering, and, uh, and then during the preaching, people were, were talking back to the preacher and, and saying things to him, and then there was noise in the room. In fact, there was this guy behind us who was, he was making tons of noise. I remember as an 11-year-old turning around and looking at him, and, man, his hair was, like, sticking straight up. And his eyes were bugging out. And there were like four people, hands on him, praying over him. And dad later said, yeah, he, he was probably demonized. And people were praying that the demon be cast out. And I was like, oh, my gosh. This is like, this is amazing. There's so much going on. I mean, I, I can't, I, I, it's hard to, to, to pay attention to what the preacher's saying. But, man, it, God's at work in this place. And I walked out of that, ch- that church service. And it was so different from the first weekend. But it was still a sense of the presence of God. And I think if you took someone from that church, that charismatic church experience, and you plopped them into the other church experience, they would probably go, what is this? And if you take someone from that church, that mainline denomination church, and you put them in a charismatic church, they'd probably go, what is this? Some of you came for the first time, so you're going, what is this? (laughs) It's the reality that the reason it's so difficult for us to embrace the movie trailer that God so longs for us to be the preview of is because our preferences run deep. The second reason why this is so hard is because of pride. Yeah, racial pride. Just look at the history of the world. Just look at, look at all the genocide. Look at all the, 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 the difficulty. What was happening in Antioch and the walls that were being built, it's just, it's just grown and been large and magnified. The pain is there, and it's rooted in pride as one race sees itself superior to another race or one race feels inferior or insecure around another race, and the pride runs deep. And more than ever, we need humility. And the reason this is so very hard for us is because while there's something in us that would love this, it literally means a releasing of authority empowering others, and a release of control. And you probably don't have this problem, but I love control. I love to pull the levers and turn the dials and get things to happen the way I want them to happen. That's why it's so hard. So, how do we, as a church, be the movie trailer the preview that God longs for us to be? It's the last question. And let me just say this. You don't drift into this. Right? This just doesn't happen automatically. 
You have to be intentional. And I think this is what God is doing with Peter in Acts chapter 10. He gives them this vision several times of, of the sheet coming down. Don't call unclean what, it, what I call clean. And he says, there's something coming. This guy named, guy named Cornelius, he's sending some messengers. I want you to go with him. Do not be afraid to go in his house. A Jew is not supposed to go into a Gentile house. Don't be afraid to worship him. Don't be afraid to eat with him. God does not come to Cornelius, or to, to Peter, as he's on that rooftop in the town of Joppa and say, Peter, you're racist, you racist, shape up. No, he actually says, I want you to go, and I want you to eat with, I want you to worship with, and I want you to be with someone who's different than you. It's intentional. And it's not like we live in the most diverse place in our nation, but the reality is, is there is diversity in our city. You may not know this, but the state of Oregon has the highest percentage of Russian speakers than any other state in the nation. It, it, there's, there's, there's a significant Slavic population here. You, 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 you probably do know this, that 24% of our city is Latino, and by 2041, it'll be over 50%. That 66% of us are bicultural, 3% are Asian, 2% are African American, 2% are Pacific Islanders, 1% are, uh, are Native American, and 1% are Slavic. Wouldn't it be awesome if someone were to come in this room and to walk and to worship and look and see and, and see someone like them? I, I think it would communicate. It would communicate. I can be here. I can belong here. Imagine someone walking in here and looking at who's up here and seeing someone that looks like them. Say, oh, I, I, I can belong here. Now, some people would say, well, that, that, that's just tokenism, Steve. That's just you're, just you're just trying to create a good picture so it looks right. No, no, no. You see, when, when the majority culture actually gives away real authority to those from minority cultures, that's actually called empowerment. That's actually called the gospel. And that's what was happening in Antioch. And it made people scratch their heads, and they said, what do we call these people? We'll call them little Christ. And the church is a movie trailer, a preview of the coming kingdom of God. And more than ever, doesn't our nation need to be able to look at the church and say, you know, we cannot figure this strife out between different ethnicities. We don't believe half the stuff those people do, but on this one, somehow they've figured this out. And I believe that as we take strides to do that very thing that's on the heart of God, he gets a smile on his face because it's his dream too. So let me ask a question. It's an important question. It just may offend you. So if it does offend you, you can email me at bcondello at samalliance.org. <laughs> Here's my question. Who's discipling you on this topic? Who's, who's discipling you on this topic? Because here's my concern as we've gone through the last 16 months, and we're talking about being reconciled. My concern is, is that cable news is discipling us on this topic. My concern is, 
is that some of us are in the room, and even as you heard me talk about Acts 11 and diversity, some of you are going, okay, is Fowler over here or is Fowler over here? Is he, is he, has he got this kind of political ideology or has he got this kind of political ideology? And can I tell you, I'm not here, I'm not there, I'm trying to be here. And this, friends, we, we have to let the scriptures inform us on God's heart. And it challenges us, yes. But could it be that we could be so reconciled and so trusting of one another that we don't become suspicious of one another, that actually we say, oh, look, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom, the movie trailer is being played. Who are we going to let disciple us on this topic? A second way I think that we could move forward as a church is to simply say, invite someone who has a different cultural experience into your home. It may be someone from a different generation. It might be someone from a different socioeconomic status. It might be someone who's single and you're married, or you're single and you're inviting a married couple in your home. It might be someone of different ethnicity. Invite them into your home and just say, hey, tell me your story. Tell me your story. And the last thing I would say is this. Allow someone from a different cultural background to form you spiritually. Someone that you know who is a Jesus follower, who has a different ethnic background, and just say, teach me about Jesus. Or read a book. Read, read, read a book, a, a devotional, a theology book written by someone from a different nation. Or listen to a podcast from someone who has a completely different cultural background than you do. And let them share Jesus with you and allow Jesus to form you. Because friends, the global picture, the mosaic that can be put back together in the throne room is the heart of God, and we will be better for it as much as that can take place right here among us so that the movie trailer could be played. Let's pray together. So, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What a glorious day it will be to be in that throne room Worshiping you with the nations, hearing different languages, seeing different customs, and seeing you. Lord, we need your help. We, we need you to breathe on us, breathe in us. Would you transform our hearts? Would you encourage us? I don't believe there's a person in the room, Lord, that doesn't want to reflect your heart. Now give us your wisdom. Give us your mind. Indeed, yes, give us your heart and grant us your spirit. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit SalemAlliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.